John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Would you go there with me this morning as we we come to the 13th chapter of John? There are uh, there are some powerful lessons here about serving, and I'm and I'm challenged and I'm encouraged by the word, and I and I know we need to hear these lessons about how to serve one another and how to serve God. I hope as you read and study chapter 13 together. In the weeks ahead, I hope you will be challenged and encouraged afresh to serve God faithfully. And we have very good reason to do so. We'll see one of the most important reasons to serve God faithfully this morning. I want you to look at the first 11 verses with me in John chapter 13. John 13 and verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus answered him, That if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Verse 9 says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. The world uh, in which we live, and we know this, I think we know this, doesn't view love as the Bible does. Doesn't have the same view of love as God's word does, as God does, as God's son Jesus Christ does. Doesn't have the same value and the same understanding of love. To those who don't know the Lord and don't know his word, love is not seen as, as giving of yourself to someone else. It's often seen as just the opposite. It's often seen by the world in a narrow and selfish kind of what can this person do for me and how do they make me feel kind of way. That's how the world looks at love. That's certainly not how the Bible defines love, and Christians Christians know that, right? At least Christians are supposed to know that. That's why I was... I was just as shocked as many were this week, and maybe you heard this, to hear that that Pat Robertson suggested that it would be permissible for a man to divorce his wife who is suffering from Alzheimer's disease. Shocking to hear that from someone who 
who says he's a minister of the gospel, he claims to be a follower of Christ, because I, I don't think that's in line with God's word, and I think we know that that's not what God's word teaches. In, other, in answer to a caller's question to his television program last week, I think it was either Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday, Robertson reasoned that since the wife with Alzheimer's was, in his words, no longer there mentally, it was like she was dead. So he suggested make sure she's provided for, but go ahead and divorce her. Not only was the Christian world shocked, but interestingly enough, the non-Christian world was also shocked. To this tragic response to this caller's question, Thankfully, one news outlet called on pastor and dean of Southern Seminary, Dr. Russell Moore, to comment, and comment he did. He also wrote an article for Christianity Today. I saw his interview on CNN the other day, and what a wonderful representation of the gospel he gave in about three minutes as they asked him questions about what Robertson had to say. But he wrote this article, and I want to share just a part of it with you. For Christianity Today, he wrote this, and it was on the Internet this week. He writes, this week on his television show, Christian broadcaster Pat Robertson said a man would be morally justified to divorce his wife with Alzheimer's disease in order to marry another woman. The dementia-riddled wife is, Robertson said, quote, not there anymore. This is more than embarrassment. This is more than cruelty. This is a repudiation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, marriage, the scripture tells us, is an icon of something deeper, more ancient, more mysterious. The marriage union is a sign. The Apostle Paul announces of the mystery of Christ and his church in Ephesians 5. The husband then is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. This love is defined not as the hormonal surge of romance, but as a self-sacrificial crucifixion of self. The husband pictures Christ when he loves his wife by giving himself up for her. At the arrest of Christ, his bride, the church, forgot who she was and denied who he was. He didn't divorce her. He didn't leave. The bride of Christ fled his side and went back to their old ways of life. When Jesus came to them after the resurrection, the church was about the very thing they were doing when Jesus found them in the first place, out on the boats with their nets, Jesus didn't leave. He stood by his words, stood by his bride, even to the place of the skull and beyond. Russell Moore goes on to say, A woman or a man with Alzheimer's can't do anything for you. There's no romance, no intimacy, no partnership, not even companionship. That's just the point. Because marriage is a Christ church icon. A man loves his wife as his own flesh. He cannot sever her off from him simply because she isn't useful anymore. Is that how God loves us? You're not useful to me anymore, so I'm done with you. I'll provide for your needs, but I'm done with you. Is that how God treats us? Is that how the scriptures talk about how Christ loves his church? Is that how Jesus demonstrated his love for us during his ministry on earth? It's certainly not what Robertson suggested. 
what shocked the Christian world and even the secular world coming from Pat Robertson this week ought to, ought to shock us too because it's not scriptural thinking. It's not biblical teaching. It's not what the Bible teaches us about how to love one another, and this certainly is not how Christ loves us. And as we enter chapter 13, we see it very clearly in the, in the words of verse 1, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 1 introduces us to the idea that Jesus deeply, deeply loves his own. And it ultimately led him to the cross. A very clear demonstration of his love for us in spite of ourselves. But there are also some clear illustrations in the text of chapter 13, and I don't want you to miss them. And so we're going to take some time with them in the coming weeks, Lord willing, as we look at chapter 13, as we see here, especially at this washing of the disciples' feet, which we read about here just a moment ago, where Jesus lowers himself to the place of a servant, showing his deep love for his own. What in the world would cause Jesus Christ to get down on his hands and knees to wash his disciples' feet? What would cause him to do that? Well, what would cause him to do that is his love for his own seen clearly spoken of in verse 1. Verse 1 makes very clear that Jesus knew the time of his suffering and death was near. He wanted his disciples to be ready. He had spent three years preparing them. He wasn't quite done with them yet. He's still preparing them. And part of preparing them meant showing them what real love is. It's self-sacrificial love. And he was going to make that very clear on the cross, but he wanted to show them, and so he began to wash their feet. Now, you may have noticed that it says in verse 1, having loved his own, having loved his own who were in the world. And yes, God loves the world. John 3.16, right? Yes, God loves the world. But the purpose of his love, think about it. What's the purpose of his love for the world? The purpose of his love for the world is to call people out of the world, to faith in him, to forgiveness of sins, to eternal life. You can hear it in John 15:19. If you were on uh, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you, speaking of those who are who are Jesus own. And those God has chosen out of the world are his own and Jesus loves his own dearly and deeply. In fact, Jesus has loved his own from the beginning, from before we existed. So so what do we learn from verse 1 here in chapter 13 about how deeply Jesus loves his own? Because the purpose for which God loves the world is to call people out of the world to be his own. How deeply does Jesus love his own? First, we learn that Jesus knew he was about to be betrayed and he knew his disciples would scatter as he was taken. And yet he loved them anyway. We see it clearly here in the passages before us, especially about Judas and his betrayal during supper, says in verse 2, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. Verse 21, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then Jesus knows who will betray him, and then he washes his feet. 
And not only that, he knew his disciples would scatter like the wind when the authorities came and took Jesus away, and he washed their feet also. Jesus knew that Judas was about to betray him, and even though he was not a true follower of Christ, we know in the end he betrayed Christ, and yet Jesus humbled himself and lowered himself to wash the feet of the one who would betray him. A very clear demonstration of God's love through Jesus Christ, but this statement in verse 1 that Jesus loved his own to the end isn't just about his disciples. is isn't just about his true disciples that day, it's about his true disciples in this day. When he says that he loved his own to the end, it's not just about that time and that place, it's about here and now. Romans 5 reminds us that before trusting Christ, we were sinners for whom he died. And not only that, it goes even further to declare that we were his enemies. Listen to Romans 5, verses 8 uh, through, through 10. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh, that is the unbeliever, is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot and this from Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, speaking of Jesus Christ, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So in other words, according to God's word, Jesus loved his own knowing what they would be without him. Knowing what they would be, knowing they would be sinners who by nature rebel against God and sin against him. And knowing this, he prepared himself for the cross. But in 1 John uh, not First John, in John 15 and verse 9, we hear the words of Christ and they are these, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. How does the Father love the Son? Well, in one word, infinitely. And the Son's love for all those the Father has given him is just the same. It's infinite. In spite of all he knew we sinners would be before coming to him in faith, Jesus loved his own from before we existed, and he loves us to the end. Note, too, that this means that the love of Jesus for his own does not change. It does not change. He doesn't love us when we're good and not love us when we're bad. Human beings are kind of fickle that way, right? You say, I don't know, you know, you better do me right, or I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna love you. you. See, no matter how we are before He saves us, no matter how we are before He comes in and rescues us from ourselves, no matter how we are, He loves us in spite of ourselves. 
And think of this. Though he knows we're not done sinning, he loves us. This also means that his love is not based on feeling or emotion, but on who he is. While it's true that Jesus is God in human flesh, and, and on earth he, he experienced emotions, he is not moved by those emotions to love us sometimes and not at other times. But as God, he is also, by his very nature, love. And so Jesus loves his own with an unchanging love. His love is, his love is not fickle. It's not feeble at times and strong at other times. It's infinite. It's perfect. Consider that for, just think about that for a moment. Consider that. Let that thought overwhelm your heart. His love never changes for you. Nothing you do changes how he loves you. If you think about that, would you agree with me that it's amazing that God loves us through his son Jesus Christ in spite of who we are before he moves into our lives and saves us from sin? Isn't it amazing? It is amazing, and he loves us knowing we still we still sin. After saving us, we still fight sin. Charles Spurgeon says of Jesus' love that an angel should love an ant would be a remarkable stoop. But that Jesus should love you is a miracle of miracles, a wonder which never could be excelled. Funny but true. It is a miracle. And we ought to be challenged and moved by it. Note, too, that we can see how much Jesus loves his own by by this truth that Jesus loves those who are in the world. We're still in the world, right? We're still in the world, and we're still dealing with sin, and we're still dealing with the depravity of this world. Jesus says in Matthew 10 and verse 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep into the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. You see, it's a spiritual battle that the Lord sends his own into, but he does not send us unloved and uncared for and unprovided for and unequipped. Just think of it. If not a sparrow falls to the ground without God knowing and caring, and he knows the number of hairs on your head, or lack thereof, right? then it's no small thing that that he cares for your needs and loves you as you live in this world, as you deal with daily struggles, as you face certain hardship, because we live in a fallen world. He doesn't send you out as sheep amidst wolves, unequipped and unprepared. If you're the Lord's, he loves you so deeply that he helps you in the midst of trial and tribulation and cares for your every need. And how blessed, blessed that is, and how blessed we are. He also knows the sinfulness in this world and knows that we're surrounded by it, and he, he promises a helper. He has promised those who trust in him a helper, right? The Holy Spirit to help you fight sin in your own life. Because, you see, he knows you're not perfect. And he's promised that helper, a helper of your very own who takes up residence in your soul works the Word of God into your soul. He also knows your heartache and He knows your sorrows and He knows just the kind of peace that passes understanding you desperately need. 
He loves us. And do you see also in verse 1 that it says, He loved them to the end? To the end. Again, I like Spurgeon's remarks on this. He says, The word translated end in the Greek frequently signifies to perfection. Think of that, to perfection. He loved them to perfection. Oh, the perfection of the love of Jesus Christ. All that his love can do, he will do for his people, and none shall be able to say that he has omitted anything which was good for them. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So we can say, to say the least, Jesus loves, he loves us. Even though we are not without fault, he loves us. He provides for our needs. And his love for his own is without fault, even though we are not without fault. His love is not Fickle, even though we are often fickle in how we love him and how we love one another. His love is unselfish and perfect, even though our love is often selfish and imperfect. And unlike the love we often show one another, it it has not a hint of selfishness. And it says, he loved us to the end. He loved his own to the end. And and note, note how patient, think about it. If he loves us to the end, he's got to be patient. Right? How about, uh, how about one another? Don't we have to be patient with each other? Just think about how patient he has to be with us. Again, unlike our love toward one another and how often our love is affected by our impatience, that's never Jesus. He's like, come on, hurry up and change already. Or I'm going to go move on to somebody else. He's not that way, is he? He's not like, I'm going to give up on you. He never will give up on his own. He knew he would be betrayed. He knew that before it was all over, the disciples would scatter after his crucifixion. And he knows that we also will be slow learners. And he loves his own to the end. He is infinitely patient. His love is long-suffering. J.C. Ryle says this of the patience of the love of Christ for his own, that he should bear with all their countless infirmities from grace to glory, that he should never be tired of their endless inconsistencies and petty provocations, that he should go on forgiving and forgetting incessantly and never be provoked to cast them off and give them up. All this is marvelous indeed. No mother watching over the waywardness of her feeble babe in the days of its infancy has has her patience so thoroughly tried as the patience of Christ is tried by Christians. Yet his patience is infinite. His compassions are a well that is never exhausted. His love is a love that passes knowledge. So might I suggest you thank God for Jesus' love. Thank the Lord for his patience with you. How much does Christ love his own? So much that, that, that loving them to the end also reminds us that we're kept by Christ. You realize that? Loving you to the end means he keeps you. We hear it in John 6 and verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. 
It's also seen in John chapter 10 and verses 28 and 29. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. See, Jesus loves his own to the end. You are secure in Christ. He keeps you. May I suggest that if the love of Jesus for his own is so pure and precious, so so patient and permanent, then we ought to be learning to love by taking our cue from Christ as seen in his love for us. Yes? Don't look to the world. Don't look to the world for the, the world's idea of love and wisdom about love. Be careful about following a person who proclaims they speak for Christ when what they say contradicts God's word. Follow God's truth. Follow Jesus Christ. He's your example. His love, pure and precious, patient, permanent, We ought to be learning to be wholehearted in our love for Christ. If, if we're overwhelmed by his love for us, and we should be, and if you're not, I suggest you dwell on it a bit and pray and thank God for his love toward you in Jesus Christ. And as you become overwhelmed by his love and thankful and grateful of heart, I suggest that you ought to be learning to be wholehearted in your love for Christ. I'd also suggest that you ought to be learning to, to seek to be always growing in, in your love for Christ and as seen in your obedience to his word and love, love for his word and obedience to it. You see, he has given us his word so that we might know how to live. We have these clear demonstrations of his love for us in his word that teaches us how to love each other, how to love him. And I hope compelled by his love that you're, you're seeking to always grow in your love for Christ as seen in your faithfulness and obedience to Christ. And if you're moved by Christ's love for you, I trust you'll be learning to seek to grow in, in your love for his word. That you'll, you'll seek to find yourself in his word daily, moved by it, changed by it, conformed to his truth. If you're overwhelmed by the love of Christ for you, I would suggest that you also ought to be learning to always seek to grow in your witness for Christ, to become more like Christ so that you might be a powerful witness for Christ in this world in which we live, so that your neighbors will see Christ alive and working in you, that your words will be powerful for the gospel of Christ to sinning souls. And I would suggest if you're overwhelmed by the love of Christ that you ought to be seeking to grow in your service to Christ. We're going to see more of that as we study chapter 13, more about how we serve him because he served us, because he loved us. You see, we serve him by serving one another, don't we? We serve him by taking the gospel to an unsaved world. We serve him by our obedience. And I would suggest that if you're overwhelmed by the love of Christ, you ought to be compelled to seek to grow in your service to Christ, serving Him as we serve one another, learning to serve and love one another with Christ as our example. Amen? Let's pray.
Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus Christ given to us in the pages of your word. Father, I pray that we would not be like those people who look in the mirror of your word and walk away and are unchanged by it. Help us to be changed by the powerful truths of the love of Christ for us. The love of Christ for those he calls his own. Father, I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us, but also convict us of where we fall short of Christ's likeness. And, and we're so thankful that you're patient with us and that you continue your work in our hearts and lives as we take steps of obedience. Lord, help us to love your word. Help us to obey your commands and your teaching and, and take your word to heart. God, I pray that we would see this week how we can show the love of Christ to others as we serve them for, for your glory. And we can show the love of Christ to others as we share the gospel with them for your glory. Strengthen us and grow us as a church as we learn to love you and love others as you love us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.